Radio 680, WPTF. Good Saturday morning. It is time once again. Bill Alexander joins me for Asset Protection Today. Actually, it's the other way around. I join you, Bill, for Asset Protection Today. You've been doing this a lot longer than I've been coming in to help you. So happy, <laughs> happy, happy Saturday. Yeah, good morning, Scott. And yeah. uh, what you know, interesting story that, uh, that you were talking about before we get on the air. You run into folks from time to time who don't have any kids, well, and they have four-legged children. They have four leg- <laughs> Some of them have birds, and those are the really goofy ones. But uh, but people that don't have any kids, we haven't really talked about that very much here on this program, about how they need to prepare for their retirement world and how it might be a different approach and different planning to protect what they've got. Well, they do have very unique uh, issues, and there are lots of folks that fall into that category. You'd be surprised how many folks uh, are in that category. And it is very much a different perspective in terms of what should be motivating. I met with a wonderful couple recently. They were doing well. They had a long-term marriage. They had uh, good retirement resources, no debt. I mean, the perfect situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, every truthfully, everyone, when they get ready to retire, <laughs> should be in such good situations with with a good retirement portfolio and no debt. Their house is paid for and they have good retirement income. You wouldn't be uh, telling me this if there weren't so, a but, though. W- wouldn't, <laughs> no, no, no. It's sort of like, uh, wouldn't it be nice if everyone uh, had such a wonderful situation, which we don't. You know, every every planning situation is different. But one of the concerns for this couple was, you know, we bought long-term care insurance a number of years ago. We know it's going to go up soon, and we're thinking about dropping it. And I'm going, oh, no, don't Uh, you dare. Right. Because it's the one thing about long-term care insurance is the fact that even though it's not inexpensive, it is the best value for any kind of insurance that any of us ever procure. And that's a funny statement because it might cost a family three, four, five thousand dollars a year, which is, you know, it's a that's a budget buster for some folks. Mm-hmm. But you have to look at it a different way. And and here's here's the problem. Or here's the way to look at it. How much do you pay for and I'll just ask you in broad terms, how much do you pay for your homeowner's insurance? A lot. Yeah, okay. it is a lot. <laughs> for most families yeah. it's a thousand to a couple thousand dollars a year. Now, what's the risk of your actually having uh, any um, calamity as it relates to your home that's insurable, you know, in terms of liability, such as uh, a bit major fire. Well, truthfully, the, the probability of risk for a homeowner is less than one-tenth of one percent each year. Pretty small. And, the, and yeah, but that's not, that's not the risk for a catastrophe, such as a house fire that consumes your entire house and, and all your possessions. That's the risk for any house fire, you know, a small house fire. And most fires are small, mm-hmm. you know. In, in other words, less than $10,000 of damage. Yeah, a little grease fire in the kitchen and uh, there's yeah. some smoke damage. In other words, the risk for that type of calamity, and including the catastrophic fires, is less than one-tenth of 1% per year. So okay. you're paying, let's just say, $1,200, $1,500 a year for almost no risk. But you're not, of course, if you have a mortgage, you have no choice. You have to have homeowner's insurance. Right. But most of people don't even think of it that way. Most people would not be uninsured as it relates to their home, right? Right. 
Well, so one tenth of one percent. I'm gonna. What's the percentage that somebody <laughs> might need the other product? Well, let's look at long-term care insurance. If you reach 65, uh, even in good health, if you reach the age of 65, you have uh, a a probability of everyone 50 percent that you will have a long-term care crisis, and I mean crisis, where it, equivalent to losing your home and everything in it, uninsured. chance. 50% chance. Now, if you're married and you and your spouse reach 65 together, there's an 80% chance that one of the two of you Mm. will have a long-term care crisis that will, where you will require three years of nursing facility care. So, I mean, truthfully, uh, now, the ladies out there actually have a higher percentage than the men. So when I say 50%, the men are a little bit lower. The women are actually higher because that's average for both sexes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So individually or as a couple? Because if you're a woman and you're in a couple, the man makes it go higher, doesn't it? Oh, no, because they, they're more likely to keel over and die well, sooner. The 70% of the, the men have the fortune of dying at home being taken care of by their spouse. You know, the, the ladies tend to be the caregivers. But what I'm really getting at, and I tell folks that I look at long-term care as the risk financially of losing your home and everything in it. Because for most folks, uh, uh, a long-term care crisis will actually cost them out of pocket something in the neighborhood of anywhere between 150 and $400,000 a year. And so most people cannot weather that storm. Well, here's the thing for a couple that has no children. The truth is, is that there are an awful lot of folks who are uninsured, and they do have a long-term care crisis. So the question is, who do, who do those folks fall back on? I'll let you answer the question, Scott. Who do you fall back on if you don't have enough money to pay for the care you need. Generally, the way society looks at it is the kids. Well, the first person is always going to be the, the spouse. spouse. Correct. And then, the, then after the spouse, if you're single, then the next group would be your children. Mm-hmm. And that normally is going to be your daughter, if you have one. Right. <laughs> Maybe your daughter-in-law if you don't. Wait, I was going to say, yes. If you have a son, <laughs> but, it might be the daughter-in-law. Right. But but the the fact of the 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 guys out there generally don't do a very good job that, that now there are lots of exceptions but it's generally the the daughters uh, that come forward to take care of of uh, a parent but a single person doesn't have that fallback right so when I'm counseling a, a couple long term you know I know they're going to fight like the dickens mm-hmm. to stay together and take care of each other, in, insured, uninsured, no matter what. Stay at home, take care of each other. But when one spouse dies, the other person doesn't have anybody right. then to fall back on. So a couple things. Number one, do you think long-term care insurance might be more important to a person in that situation where, uh, and and I guess the same situation or a similar one would be uh, if you have children, but uh, they're they don't live close by. They live in California. They live somewhere that they and they have uh, uh, job situations where they can't 
they, they wouldn't be in a position to take care of you. Mm-hmm. You know, that, but the bottom line is a single person who has no children, that long-term care insurance might be a lifesaver. For right. Them. It might it, be the one that keeps yeah. them from. Now, there are <clears throat> lots and lots of folks who buy long-term care insurance simply because they don't want to be a burden on their children. And that's a very legitimate reason to have it. Mm-hmm. But for those folks who are single and they don't have a child to fall back on, then long-term care insurance might be the most important product they ever buy. Okay. When we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about how you have that conversation with those people with no children. A Breaking Back, this is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Asset Protection today on News Radio 680 WPTF. Hey there, my name is Scott Fitzgerald along with attorney Bill Alexander. You can find Bill any time of the night or day, WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. Before the break, we were talking about a scenario where a couple doesn't have any children. They might have a dog, might have a cat. Neither one of them would be able to take care of them as they get older, and maybe there's a long-term care crisis. So long-term care insurance is probably the only thing that's really going to help them out. How do you have that conversation with this couple? What is that like, Bill? Truthfully, Scott, when it comes to long-term care with the couple I just met, it was really easy because they brought it up. You know, it was like, should we keep our long-term care? Do we really need it? In their case, they had assets. They could self-insure, but they already had the insurance. Mm -hmm. And it's really, I mean, truthfully, you can't replace the older insurance policies. Even if you can get the new policies, they're they're not as good and they're more expensive. So anyone who has an old long-term care policy should absolutely keep it. This particular family, they had a group policy through John Hancock. And John Hancock at one time was the largest insurer for long-term care in the world. But they're not in the business anymore. They are not writing long-term care policies anymore. They just decided they weren't very good at it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, But those policies are still there. And uh, the company's standing behind them and those kind of things. But Folks who have their long-term care policies uh, should keep them in almost every circumstance. What could be the opportunity cost? Somebody's got it today. A couple has it today. They've had it for 20 mm-hmm. years. They decide mm-hmm. to drop it and then pick up a new one tomorrow. What oh, could no. that, well, what could see, that delta that's be? That's not going to happen. If somebody drops it, it's because they feel like they can't afford it. What kind of, the, How big would that mistake well, be? They're just, it would be a huge mistake. Okay. And that's the thing is that uh, at you know while you're healthy, it's a cost. It's mm-hmm. a burden. But uh, it's the kind of thing that when you need it, it's like gold. A lifeline, yeah. It is absolutely wonderful. Long-term care insurance gives you 10 times more options in terms of your future than anyone that doesn't have it. I don't want to focus too much on long-term care insurance. I want to focus on couples without children because they have other unique planning issues that are not hard to see, but sometimes hard to figure out. For instance, um, you know, obviously their planning goal for the most part, is taking care of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. Part of it is this. If something happens to their spouse, who are they going to select as their agents, the person that they can fall back on to help them if they need assistance? You know, obviously you can appoint each other as a couple without children, but you don't have that automatic default on who's next, who's our alternate, who's our successor 
if something happens to me or my spouse because there's not a child no to fall child. back on. And, and for most families, that default is almost always the child. These folks have to figure out, okay, who would be next? And for some folks, it might be a sibling, a brother, sister. For some folks, it might be a friend. It might be a cousin. But the bottom line is some folks don't have anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have a sibling at all. Uh, they Or their sibling is 10 years old. Uh, older than they are and so you know that kind of thing so it's not necessarily a good selection and truthfully uh, a person who doesn't have a a good person to select one that they're comfortable with one that they know would always be honest always uh, make the uh, right decision on their behalf if you don't have that person in your life then you should not appoint an agent. You only, you know, these the documents can be very powerful when you're really talking about a general power of attorney or a healthcare power of attorney. You're actually depending on somebody to, in essence, hopefully, to make a decision that would be consistent with what you would do if you were making the decision for yourself. And it's great if you have somebody you can appoint, but if you don't have someone, it's it's a really tough call. And and. If you don't have somebody on the tip of your tongue uh, that you know that you could count on, then you probably should not have an alternate agent. You should appoint your spouse as your agent uh, and and then hope that over the next 10 or 15 years that there will be someone else that you might be able to appoint in the future, um, be it a good friend or or someone uh, that you could count on, but that leaves so, a gap <clears throat> and an unknown. It does, but it's better to have an unknown than to appoint someone is, that's inappropriate. Well, then who would just <laughs> then help me close the loop in my brain here? So my spouse dies, I don't have anybody assigned as an agent, and yeah, then but, I get to to the point where I'm having issues. Who then helps me out? Well, that's the problem. And if you don't have anybody, then someone's going to end up coming forward. The court will actually come forward and appoint generally an attorney or someone um, that will take care of things if that should happen. You hope that that's not the case. And it's always better for you to select your own agent than to have a judge select one for you. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's just not the way it always happens. I'm just trying to bring out that uh, selecting agents uh, is an issue for folks that don't have who don't have children, uh, and it's a very important discussion. Um, another discussion we have frequently is what do we do about our pets? You know, who's going to mm-hmm. take care of them? Uh, and That's a so, big issue, too. Well, and, it really and, and is. we can do what's called a pet trust, and there are other ways of skinning that cat, if you will. <laughs> poor <laughs> the choice cat people of words. Don't, they don't want to hear that. Poor, poor, poor choice of words there, but, but the bottom line is, is that um, – uh, there are ways of doing that, and, and there are a lot, there are a lot of folks that they want to put a trust in place for that. But you know that complicates an estate plan that might be a fairly simple plan. Um, but we do pet trusts all the time. Is there an agent then for the pet? In essence, you have to select somebody, or you end up having to uh, have your trustee. Uh, to select that person uh, okay. and pay them. And there's some organizations that will take in 
uh, pets, you know, for adoption and things like that. Um, it's better if you have someone who th- that it already knows your pet and you can make arrangements for them to come and uh, and uh, be there for the pet. But but it's it's another another issue. The wrinkle that uh, could potentially come up. We're talking about people that they get to the retirement age and they don't have children. Different scenarios, maybe even some different documents that might be necessary. When we come back, I'd like to talk to you a little bit, Bill, about trusts and revocable and irrevocable trusts and how they may or may not be appropriate. It's Asset Protection Today. We'll be back in a moment on News Radio 680 WPTF. Asset Protection today on News Radio 680 WPTF. And Bill Alexander is with us as he always is. If you want to find out more about Bill and about the uh, about the firm, you can always go to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. I suggest highly that you check Bill's background out here before you actually engage him. <laughs> Just like Bill, you would recommend that somebody checks out their professionals. But uh, the good news is that when people check you out, they realize that. You're kind of the one that knows the most about most of this stuff in the area. So I'm always honored to have the expert well, here. You're, you're kind. You're exaggerating a little no, bit. No, I'm not exaggerating okay. because uh, but I've because I've done my research, well, Bill. You're, you're kind then. <laughs> Let's I, I can try to be. At least, at least I can. We're talking today about couples that don't have any children. And before we move on to some different documents, um, there is a unique opportunity for these couples to, to do some good in the world that may not necessarily – be first on the list for folks that have kids. Explain uh, how that might be a situation. Just another issue for these folks to think about that most folks with children, they know where they want their estate to go when they die, and that is they want it to go to their children. Well, if you don't have children, then what are you going to do with your money after your spouse is gone? There is a fun opportunity to do charitable planning for many of these folks, and there's a lot of fun things that they can do. Hopefully, when folks don't have children, you know, sometimes it's like, well, I've got a niece or a nephew, uh, that sort of thing. But for others, they, they really don't. And the good news is, is that many of these folks really do want to do some charitable planning. And there are some things that I advise folks when they're looking at charitable planning, and that's this. Number one, let's first talk about extended family. We're looking at nephews and nieces or cousins and the like. And at least from my perspective, uh, I would counsel, when it comes to extended family, don't look at it as an obligation to give them anything. Mm -hmm. Truthfully, if you have a niece or a nephew that's close to you, that cares about you, that calls you, that visits, that is a part of your life, then sure, if you want to extend an inheritance to them, great. That's wonderful. They love you. You love them. You know, do something for them. That's magical. But should you leave it to a nephew who hadn't called you in 10 years, never comes to Thanksgiving, never... Yeah, you know, doesn't give a flip about whether you live or die. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, probably wouldn't come to your funeral if, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's the kind of thing where do you really want to leave that some that person something simply because they're uh, alive? They're alive, and mm-hmm. and and uh, they, you can call them family. Well, I'm prejudiced. I think that that is wrong. Uh, uh, you know, I don't think people that. 
don't care anything about you should receive an inheritance from you. Whether the law would allow them to or not, uh, that doesn't matter. When you're doing planning, you're doing you your planning right. for you based on what the uh, folks who are important to you. Can you leave property to a friend just because they're really go- a good friend? Sure you can. Sure. It's whatever you want to do. But once you get past the folks who are really important to you in your life and meaningful to you, then you have the opportunity to say, okay, what charities are important to me? And what I like to tell folks is, is this, what are you passionate about? Mm-hmm. You know, and it was real interesting with the couple I had recently. It's, uh, you know, um, the husband w- was a gardener. He loved to garden, and so that was clearly his, his passion. And one of the uh, charities he was interested in was the food bank and the rescue mission and things like that. I thought that was wonderful. And then, But the wife, you know, she was still focused on, on her work. It was sort of like, well, you know, other than the church, I really don't have something. And I said, well, look. You know, you're getting towards a place where you're going to retire in a few years. Find something mm-hmm. that really motivates you, that, that becomes a passion. And then that's where you need to leave your money. There are a lot of folks that want uh, and do. And, and, and one of the things that's real interesting to me is the first thing that a lot of these couples will say is we want to leave it to a pet organization. From my experience, a lot of those organizations actually have lots of funds because it's one of the organizations that typically will hit a charity as it relates to folks who are leaving money. So I, I like to say, well, also broaden your perspective right. to other charities that help people, (laughs) you know, the two-legged kind, because there are an awful lot of needs. But do your homework. You know, it's the kind of thing where there are lots of charities out there that have high administrative expenses or they divert your your, uh, charitable intention to something else. Uh, And it's important uh, that folks who want to leave their money, uh, do a a good bit of homework to where they're not only leaving money to something that they're passionate about, but where there will be good stewardship uh, um, in a charity that takes uh, takes their money and uses it for good things. And then the other thing about folks who do have charitable inclinations, and this is not just for folks without children, but when you know that you're going to do charitable planning, you can do charitable planning during your lifetime that will actually give you income tax benefits. Uh, and that's where uh, folks, if you have, for instance, highly appreciated property, and that might be some real estate that you acquired 20 years ago and it's appreciated significantly, or it might be that you worked for a company and you've acquired lots and lots of stock in that company over years and years and years, and so many families that acquire stock like that, they don't want to sell it because they know that there'll be a huge capital gains tax. Well, if you have a charitable inclination, then you can do a charitable annuity or a charitable trust whereby you place that property, the, the stock. Uh, a good example might be that you worked for Duke Power for years or, or CPNL. And now you uh, you have uh, you know a hundred thousand shares of C, uh, of Duke Energy, you know that would be an example where 
you wouldn't want to sell it necessarily during your lifetime because of the, the tax consequences the, of the capital gains. Um, and people make um, big mistakes sometimes uh, letting the tax tail wag the dog, right. if you will, and they really should sell it and diversify. That's a financial issue. But in terms of taxes, um, you can do charitable planning, put the property in a charitable trust or charitable annuity, sell it with no tax whatsoever, and then take the income stream based on the net revenue from the property that has not been taxed. So uh, in other words, let's say you have a half million dollar asset and if you sold it and paid capital gains, you'd have less than $400,000 left after you pay state and federal tax. But if you put it in a charitable trust and sell it, you still have a half million dollars. Mm -hmm. And so now your income stream is coming in from a half million dollars rather than say $385,000. So it's, it's uh, a higher income stream because you've done the charitable planning. And that's an opportunity that folks who want to do charitable planning have, particularly if they have highly appreciated property. So a couple of different uh, sides of the coin. One is making sure that you cover your own tax behind and then make sure that, uh, that what you've got and you're giving can do the most work and uh, by doing by putting that into a trust. Um, we'll talk about some other kinds of trust, if you don't mind, when we come back here. This is Asset Protection Today, another episode with Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF Asset Protection Today with Bill Alexander. Hi, my name is Scott Fitzgerald. And uh, today we're talking about, we don't have a name for him, but it is a couple with no children. No, they got four letticates. <laughs> that's right. I forget the dogs and the cats. Uh, these are, these are, this is an older couple making their plans that don't have any two-legged children, and uh, there's different options for them. Um, you want to go into some of the other options well, or some sure. of the discussions? Another discussion that we had with this same couple was should we do our planning with a revocable trust? And, and truthfully, not everybody needs a revocable trust. I mean, and let me just put this out there. There are a lot of folks out in the community, uh, professionals, that, will, that go around telling folks, everybody should have a revocable trust, you can avoid probate, and that sort of thing. And the truth is, that's just not true. There are other ways of avoiding probate without a revocable trust. And a trust, uh, while they're wonderful planning tools for folks who need them, can complicate people. Most people don't understand trust. I mean, I do, but I've been doing it for years. Mm -hmm. I mean, most people, it's a confusing thing. They know it's something that will help them. Maybe. But, but there's a difference between knowing it will help them and really and truly understanding it. And so I've, I truly believe that simple is better if it works. You know, the whole, the whole point of planning is to have a plan that works. Right. And, and you know how it's going to work for you. I folks to know that there are lots and lots and lots and lots of circumstances where a revocable trust is the wrong answer. You know, you don't need it. And, and truthfully, uh, and now here, here we have a couple with four-legged children. Right. <laughs> uh, so their, their really only concern is how do we take care of each other? Okay, that's their, that's their biggie. 
Um, <coughs> they had a long-term marriage, so they did not have um, complications in their life, if you will. You know, their basic strategy was, if I die, I want all my property to go to my spouse, okay? And then after that, it really didn't matter to, I mean, yes, they wanted to do charitable planning and do some other things that we talked about, but in essence, did these folks need a trust? And what I said to them was, there might be a time when a trust is appropriate, but you don't need one now. You know, they were in their 50s, uh, you know, one was late 50s, one was mid 50s, and so uh, they were still in great health, there was really no complications. Mm-hmm. And so you have to look at estate planning the way a business person looks at a business plan. You can't put one plan in place and expect it to last forever. It's the kind of thing where you put a plan in place that works in the, your best interest for now, recognizing that five years up the road or 10 years up the road or 20 years up the road, when the circumstances change, you change your business plan. or I mean, with a business, you might change it every quarter, or every year, or every five years. But but with an estate plan, you also have to understand that that the, the meat of the plan may need to change based on changed circumstances. And that, for some folks, it's because your family changes, your wealth changes up or down. Mm-hmm. It may be that the law changes. I mean, there are a lot of folks I've said uh, repeatedly that anybody that did a revocable trust for estate tax purposes back in the late 1990s or early 2000s, those folks really need to get back in with their planners to change their trust because the chances are that that trust that they have in place is actually a time bomb that will hurt the surviving spouse rather than help. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, you don't have to, this married couple we're talking about now with no children, you know, there are no estate tax issues. You can leave a gazillion dollars in value to your spouse and there's no estate tax from one spouse to the other spouse. Our estate tax system is all about when it goes to the next generation. And there's a huge exemption out there today, $5.45 million exemption when it goes to the next generation. So, the estate tax doesn't apply to most of us anymore. Mm-hmm. There are only folks who are doing really, really well where the estate tax is an issue. Income tax affects almost all of us. Right. And so that is where the pl- your planning needs to, to focus. But you have to understand, too, that a married couple doesn't have, for most part, m- most married couples, if they know that they want all of their property to go to their spouse. In other words, there's no complications. There's no, there's, there's no children by previous marriage. There's no special needs child. There's, there's no health crisis issue. There's, there's no complication in their life. Well, most couples ha- already have their estate so that the survivor gets it anyway. You know, you own your real estate together, so the deed basically makes the property go to the survivor. You have joint bank accounts with right of survivorship. So the bank contract determines that the property goes to the survivor. You know, they both, the deed trumps the will, or if you have a trust, it trumps the trust. If the, the joint bank account with right of survivorship will trump a will or trust. Most people have their investment accounts, their brokerage accounts with right of survivorship. Again, that contract will 
Trump, Trump right. the will or trust. Or life insurance. And, well, you have a beneficiary designation mm-hmm. for that. And so that will always trump a will or trust. You have, um, you have annuities with a beneficiary designation. You have retirement accounts with a beneficiary designation. So, Scott, let me put it to you, and I do this all the time. If all your real estate, all your bank accounts, all your investment accounts, all your annuities, all your retirement accounts, and all of your life insurance – goes outside your will or trust, what's left for you to leave anybody in your will or trust? (laughs) Baseball card collection, maybe. Exactly. Yeah, not much. It's the kind of thing where uh, uh, not much. It's your stuff. Right. You know, furniture, furnishings, uh, jewelry, things like that. And, And, of course, you don't do typically a will or a trust based on leaving your stuff you know a small i mean you do a will or a trust based on this is a plan that i want to work and so what i'm getting at is that this couple did not need a trust and i basically said guys let's keep it simple let's just do a simple will to make sure you know and the will is there just to clean up anything that might be forgotten or something like that and so uh in their case it was it was real simple now I said, now, after one spouse dies, the survivor, depending on circumstances at that point, may want to use a simple trust to make things uh, work a little better. But they didn't need that. And that so that, that would be a different conversation that might occur 10, 15, 20 years or more down the road. And, of course, it's sort of like, well, you know, don't forget, this is a plan we put in place that as circumstances change, come back, and then we can modify it as uh, your circumstances change or the law changes or whatever uh, the, the deal is. So uh, that's, uh, uh, you know, the bottom line is uh, there are a lot of folks that really do not need a trust of any kind, and uh, revocable trusts are wonderful planning tools. Uh, but everybody doesn't need them, and it's it's the kind of thing where, you know. Now there was one thing that we can talk about in terms of why revocable trust might help, and we can do that when we come back. Okay, and there are some documents that <clears throat> everybody should have. So we'll talk about the trust that Bill just mentioned, some of the other documents you might need, and uh, and more coming up. This is Asset Protection Today. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today on News Radio 680 WPTF with Bill Alexander. And Bill, um, lots of talk today about trusts. And one of the things that you were saying is that there are people out there basically with a megaphone saying, you need a revocable trust, which for many folks might be the right thing, but for some folks still it's not the right idea. So explain the, the, the who's and the why's and the what's and the needs. Well, if uh, as it relates to revocable trusts, and revocable trusts have some wonderful benefits. They give you privacy. They allow you to avoid probate. They can give you very good tax planning, and they can give asset protection planning to your children and to your spouse, too, if you need that. And it also allows folks to maintain control, no lords determine who gets their privacy, 
property, when they get it, how they get it, when they die. If you simply have a simple plan that leaves everything to your spouse, then you don't have any say into what happens to that property upon your death. This married couple, it was just the two of them, their plan was we want our spouse to get everything. You know, our goal is take care of each other Mm -hmm. and everything after that is secondary. If you don't have children, that's the way it typically is. That's why charitable planning and things like that work. Well, this family only had one thing that we talked about as it related to maybe it could be a little more complicated. And so, for instance, they had some real estate in South Carolina. They also had some real estate up in the mountains of North Carolina that was in one spouse's name and not the other. Okay. Well, their plan was to sell the property in South Carolina. Uh, and because of the fact that they would that, that they're they're fairly young in their 50s and their plan was to sell the property in South Carolina within the next 5 years or so. And so with that in mind, I, I said let's do simple planning not a trust. However, if they had said well, you know, we want to keep that forever. We might retire there. I would have said, well, let's do a revocable trust to avoid a double probate because that property in South Carolina will require a probate. And the the probate in South Carolina can cost a whole lot more than the probate in North Carolina. I, and for instance, I had a, a client a few years ago that had a small home not on the coast, but 20 miles inland. It was worth about $75,000. And while it was a very small estate, and this little house was one of the few things that the folks had, the probate in South Carolina cost $3,500. And it was like, wow, that was really expensive. And had this family had a very simple trust that much less cost, they would have avoided probate in South Carolina and not had any of that cost. Uh, so a trust can avoid probate. Um, and if you ha- own property in multiple states or any state outside North Carolina, then a trust might be helpful. Now, it also, I mean, now this is outside the trust conversation, but it's, you know, the, the, the husband owned some property in his name alone up in the mountains. Well, it was like, okay, your goal, you don't plan to sell it, but your goal is for it to go to your wife. Uh, You've been married for almost 40 years, so let's just put the house in both names, and that that allows it to go to your wife um, upon your death without a probate, and you're done. And so you could avoid doing a trust uh, by just doing that simple thing. It was a no-brainer, and that certainly suited all of the circumstances as it related to that particular thing. But uh, if, if a person is saying you need a revocable trust merely to avoid probate, you probably don't need a trust. <laughs> you know, that's their selling points. Probate is awful. Probate is so expensive. And truthfully, it's not. You know, there are some court costs, but most people have property that go outside of probate anyway. You have other options to avoid probate that work in North Carolina without a problem. Uh, And so what I'm saying is get good counsel when it comes to whether you should have a, a trust. There are these businesses that we call trust mills that 
try to say everybody should have a trust and just it's just not not true and probate can be avoided in lots of different ways uh and and you know these trust mills charge a whole lot for what they do then you're not getting much of anything value for it and truthfully what happens what i see with these trust mills and even with attorneys sometimes they'll encourage you to have a revocable trust and then the most important aspect of your trust they leave it to you to accomplish you know what that is Uh putting your property into the trust (laughs) you know so they make the box but they don't don't put anything in the box okay and that's the problem because if you create a trust uh, i will not create a trust unless it's in my client's best interest and the client understands that their property has to be placed inside the trust so we have to transfer their property into the trust. And I help them do it. That's part of what I do. But do you know what happens if you create a trust and then you don't place your property inside the trust? You've just doubled your expenses instead of saved expenses. Now, why have you doubled your expenses? It's because, because you haven't placed your property inside the trust prior to your death. You still have a probate. Your will says, at my death, take my property and put it in my trust. So your estate has to go through probate with all of its expenses, and then you have trust administration on top of that. So you have an added expense that you would not have had if you had not created the trust in the first place. So for anybody who doesn't fund their trust, transfer their property into their trust, they're better off not having a trust. At all. Yeah. At all. It's Cause crazy. Cause I mean, but that's what happens so often in my experience. So it's and a big old double It really whammy. upsets me when I see it. I can it, tell. But I, I, I can see tell. it happen more often than not. Uh-huh. And it's and it's a real um, it's a real tragedy for folks because they're just taking the advice of their attorney or a trust mill or whatever, and they think they're doing the right thing. And they're actually hurting themselves. Hurting themselves, mm-hmm. a double whammy. Uh, we'll talk about ways, some wrap-up ways to avoid some double whammies coming up as we wrap up Asset Protection with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can find him online, WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. You and your family are connected by routine, and you stick to it. But what if a disaster strikes without warning? What if your day's routine is disrupted and you can't reach your family? Have you planned for that? Before a disaster turns your family's world upside down, be ready. Get a kit. Make a plan. Be informed. Learn how at www.ready.gov. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency and the Ad Council. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn or babysit. Come meet bugs and birds. You may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you. The silly you. (laughs) The curious you. Ask your parents to take you to this not so far away place. Come to the forest where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council.
News Radio 680 WPTF Asset Protection today and Bill Alexander. And uh, I don't know how the time goes by so fast, Bill. Oh, we have lots of fun. <laughs> I learn a lot. Well, I would say this, and we'll come back with it next week, but whilst people don't, a lot of folks don't need a trust, there are certain legal documents that every person should have, whether they have children or not, powers of attorney, uh, advanced directives, medical releases, those, those kind of documents every person should have. And not to have it is really dangerous. And don't you have a list of those on the website? Sure. And the website, in case somebody wants to go there right now and learn more? WGALaw.com. And if you'd like to send Bill uh, an email there, you can do that, WGA at WGALaw.com. The time did fly fast. But you know what? We'll do it again next week, and you can always get these shows if you just caught part of it by going to WPTF.com. We'll see you next Saturday on Asset Protection Today.